Hi, this is David Breyer from risingabovethenoise.com, and you're listening to The Angry Millennial. 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 Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers, All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now, guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at ClickGearClothingLTD. What's going on, AM Nation? And welcome to the Angry Millennial Show. Today, we're chatting with digital anthropologist Alex Wolf. Alex, thanks for coming out. Thank you for having me. No, of course, of course. Um, so let's get right into it. You know, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you know, were you always uh, creative in, in that sort of sense? Were you always kind of an entrepreneurial kind of spirit growing up? Yeah. So my my cute kind of like kid entrepreneur story was that <laughs> in third grade, I sold a Pokemon card for $30 to my friend. (laughs) I know. And I got in a lot of trouble. The principal called the school. Wow. Uh, I like to always point out that it was a holographic card, which are more valuable, but nonetheless, (laughs) um, yeah, I got in trouble. Yeah. 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 Labeled you a hustler. You're like, come on. What is this? Yeah. Snake oil salesman kid hawking hawking Pokemon. That's funny because... I never got into it, but my uh, my son's into like Pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Mm-hmm. So I guess Yu-Gi-Oh is like the same thing of that, you know, years ago and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, they're similar in in kind of like virtual worlds for cool monsters and creatures. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. So your about section uh, talks a lot about growing up in Brooklyn. Yep. With your Italian gay father who loved tech and Barbara Streisand. Yes, who still uh, loves tech and Barbara Streisand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So what, tell me, what was your what was your childhood like? Um, I would say it was very unique in the sense that, you know, being a woman of color, uh, growing up with a with mostly her father, right? Like um, mm-hmm. I think in most homes, um, it's the mom who's the primary caretaker, but it was my dad for me. And, um, not only were we different genders, but we're also different races. And, um, you know, I, not that that's a bad thing at all. It's just definitely like, I grew up just with a very different kind of perspective than I think a lot of my friends did. And, but my dad is amazing person. You know, we traveled a lot, um, throughout Europe during my childhood and still today, Um, he's very, you know, he went to law school, so he's very academic and was very strict about, you know, my, my grades and stuff like that. And he also just, you know, had a ton of computers. I had a computer before all of my friends did. I had internet before all of my friends. And so his early adopter type behavior rubbed off on me by default. 
Um, and being that I was an only child, you know, I like to say that the computer was my sibling. The computer was my friend. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned how to do everything, you know, and, and entertain myself with games. And, you know, I remember playing with PowerPoint and Word. That's when like those things were exciting on the computer. Like that's what you Mm -hmm. would do. Um, and it's always been that way. So, yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So, you know, obviously we can, we can get a glimpse and in, in how that influenced your outlook on, on like being an entrepreneur or like being tech savvy and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I know I've read that, you know, like you had said, your father was, was a very educated you know guy and, and was huge in academics. And obviously you and your father had like kind of a tough period uh, later on in life after you dropped out of Berkeley. Yeah. Um, so that that must have been tough for you. Uh, you know, t- tell us a bit about about that period. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was always a given in my childhood that I was going to go to college and that mm-hmm. I was going to get a degree and get a good job. And so I had those. It wasn't even so much of a pressure as much as it was, you know, just mandatory in in the way that I thought and the in the way I was raised. And so, um, the thing is, once I turned eighteen. And started to enroll in classes. Um, and, you know, I just want to make sure it's clear that I was at Berkeley Community College, not Berkeley, UC Berkeley. Oh, okay. um, and I was paying for classes on my own, working seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. I just hated everything about it. I hated the fact that I had to work seven days a week um, to pay for the system, uh, this education that I was not excited about. I had I had one class I was excited about, but I never did the homework. So I was the kind of kid who got A's and F's. You know, it's like if I got an A, it's because I I liked the class. If I got an F, it's because I didn't like it. I'm very I'm very stubborn when it comes to things. So um, right, right, all in or, or not at all. Yeah. yeah, just it didn't make sense to me. I I have a hard time with. Um, with paperwork, which I know sounds super weird, but I'm, I swear this is going to be a thing in the future. Or like, and when I say future, I say like the next year or two where millennials, we have like a, a phobia of fear, um, a phobia of paper. So I, I get stressed out thinking about files and things getting lost in the mail and handwriting. Like, I don't understand how the world used to work like that before. (laughs) And with the public, you know, with the education system, um, especially for community colleges, they still use really outdated things and Mm -hmm. it stresses me out. And there there had been more than one time where like something got lost or something didn't process. And it was, I I just had a moment one time and I said, I'm just never going to come here again. Mm -hmm. Um, which was kind of immature at the, at the time, but I just, something in me knew that this was just not going to work for me. Right. So. And I think that's a, the last thing you mentioned, I think that's a good thing to, to talk about because I mean, let's be honest, a lot of people and rightfully so tell us, well, when you're younger and you do something and let's just say a lot of it is we, we, uh, we do a lot of, uh, we act on emotion a lot when you're younger, yeah. right? And, you know, people say, well, you know, that was not a good idea because, you know, you acted on emotion and you just didn't know any better. Now you were too young. But I mean, to be fair, I feel like for some people, not everyone, let's be honest, everyone has a young and dumb period, but not every decision 
is one of those ones where you sit there and say, oh, I shouldn't, I should have known better or I'm making a mistake because I don't know any better. And it's like, one could argue that a lot of young people just know, you know, just from early on, just sit there and say, you know what? I might not have it completely figured out, but I know that X isn't for me. Right. And and that's, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, they go on and, and the rest of their life path kind of goes and echoes back to that and saying, yeah, you, okay, you were, you were a, a square peg trying to fit in a round hole and, and a good thing that you avoided that, you know, yeah. um, or you made that decision. So th- that's something that I think definitely a lot of people don't get enough credit for. And, and recently I had the, um, I had the great pleasure of going to the next gen summit. Mm-hmm. you heard of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll be honest, I'm young enough. I'm 32. I'm not that old, but I was literally one of the oldest people in there a mm-hmm. whole weekend. And I'm listening to like 17, 18 year old people who have like funded companies and amazing products. And, and, you know, I've been on Forbes, they're under 30 and Shark Tank and all this other crazy stuff. Right. And I'm going like, more people got to know about these people because, you know, we sit there and say like, if you're young and, and you're uh, smart, what if, I mean, let's be honest, what do people usually think about? Oh, did they win a science fair or did they, right. you know, do write some cool paper? It's like, no, 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 no. They're running a company. Well, we're <laughs> you know? seeing, what we're seeing is what happens when a, a large population of people have access to pretty much all the information in the world. And so mm-hmm. we are going to get, you know, populations of really smart young people. Um, right. You know, you also get populations of other stuff, but you know, I definitely think that's a a product of of having the internet be um, available to to this generation, right? Full time too. I mean, that's right a, at such a young age. Well, one of the things I say about millennials and why we're so different is because we are the only generation in history to have had the internet become normalized and adopted by society during our development. Whereas all the generations before us um, were already fully developed as adults when the internet was normalized and everyone after us only came into a world where the internet was normalized. So we saw it happen at a very weird time in our lives. And I'm sure you've heard like millennials, you know, joke about how old they feel and stuff like that. And I think that's really because we we saw the world trifold on itself technologically at like a, a very, like I said, a very sensitive time. So mm-hmm. it's cool. It's what makes us different. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's one thing I always tell people about is like, you can knock our generation for whatever you want. And, uh, you know, everyone has their opinion. That's fine. Um, but I, I mentioned that a lot. I tell people like, when we look back, you know, 20, 30 years on, on what the generation has done, I think the biggest thing everyone's going to notice is the biggest boom in in technology in like a 10 15 year period that was unprecedented you know i mean you think of like i mean i'm old enough to remember when texting was like you had to hit the the, you know the one button three times to get to see and then Mm -hmm. keep going and then you're paying two bucks to reply to a text message and i would never ever do it and my friends would get so pissed yo why didn't you text you back i'm like because this shit costs two dollars homie like just call me you know right but it um and then look at us now that in just what eight nine years we have computers in our pockets you know yeah we don't realize you know the other analogy i like to use is like it's like your friend just lost a whole bunch of weight, but you're with your friend every day, so you can't really tell. But then you mm-hmm. see a picture 
of them a year ago and you're like, oh my gosh, you lost a lot of weight. And and so with technology, I you know, part of what I want my work to do is show you that picture and say, look, 10 years ago, it was weird for you to share a picture of your food, or it was weird of you to tell, you know, random people, including, you know, the kid you went to middle school with, what, how you feel about the election. Now these are very, very normal things. And it's almost where it's an inverse, where it's, it's more weird if you're not doing that in this generation, not having a Facebook is weird, not having an Instagram is weird. Um, and so I think just having, just acknowledging those changes help us realize the momentum of it all mm-hmm. um, because we don't really feel it because we're interacting with it day by day. Mm-hmm. No, that's a good point. Like you said, the, the, the losing weight over time and, and looking at yourself and being like, I'm not making any progress, but then you look back and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. 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 I mean, so for sure. So, um, you know, speaking of young, smart people, you were named one of the top top 100 most creative people in business by fast company. Um, you know, that's pretty awesome. Let's be honest. Right. Uh, and we speak with a lot of people who are on like these amazing lists, you know, that, that go around and, and I know a lot of them, you know, have, uh, differing opinions on, on what they think they've done or what return they've seen on them or whatever. But what about you? Have you found that that piece, uh, was showing return with your business or at least opening new doors. Uh, and after that, we'll get into, you know, one of the, um, the bigger businesses you're known for as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely opened and expanded my network. Um, it's only been it's a few weeks. So, um, oh, okay. yeah, they launched the list, I think in the beginning of June or the the late last week of May, but yeah, it's been fun. Um, just, it's cool to be on a list with a lot of other cool people, um, you know, I'm like right next to Chance the Rapper, which I think is pretty awesome. <laughs> nice. And there's a lot of cool people from Snapchat, from Apple on there, companies I really respect. So it's it's definitely a big deal. I definitely remember, you know, that same year dropping out of college, reading Fast Company and like boiling with, you know, envy at these people. And, you know, I, I it's so rewarding to know that, wow, you know, next thing I know I'm on the list. So mm-hmm. It just proves that hard work, hard work pays off. Yeah, yeah. T- tell us a bit about that. You know, what was that like for you? Did you, uh, you were you in touch with them at all about it? Was it just like you were put on there and were surprised by it, and someone reached out and told you? Yeah, um, I was. I was reached out, um, mm-hmm. and it was awesome. I actually was interviewed by Fast Company without knowing that was that's what it was for. Oh, wow. And then after the interview, um, they were kind of like, oh, by the way, we're looking to feature you. And I was like, oh, great. Uh, sounds great. Right, 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 right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, I mean, like you said, that's cool. You know, like, let's just say, you know, a lot of people, we see these lists and we want to kind of be on them. But we all know that that, uh, that in lies, like you said, the hard work and the hustle is that you have to get in front of the right people. You have to be following up with them. You have to be a right fit. You also have to be remembering that you have to crush it in your business, yeah. you know, to even be on, on their radar. Uh, so it, it's pretty great when they kind of happens organically and they just kind of reach out to you. Um, and that's, that's awesome. So tell us about Boss Babe. Yeah. So Boss Babe is a company I started one and a half years ago. It started off as almost an accidental company. I started Mm -hmm. a Instagram account where I I was posting relatable 
kind of confessional quotes about being a feminine businesswoman, particularly feminine. And um, I did this with pink quotes and girly uh, context for the quotes. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was a lot of motivational accounts on Instagram, but none of them were for women and definitely none of them were for kind of the girly woman. So it definitely stuck out. And the first day I gained 100 followers. The second day I gained 100 more. By the fifth day, I had 500 followers and I realized I was on to something. And um, the account just grew from there. It was a very exciting um, feeling. And within two months of the Instagram launching, I um, developed a website where members or where the followers can go and become members of the Boss Babe Academy, which Mm -hmm. is a monthly um, network of a, a membership network where people pay 10 bucks a month and they get access to high quality materials on how to build an online personal brand. Um, and so it's really expanded over time and I'm, I'm very proud of it. And um, it's now fully operationalized. That's awesome. You know, and, and when I was, uh, when we came across you and we started chatting, uh, you know, and doing my research, I kind of started realizing that the way Boss Babe is, right, um, could be seen as like, you know, B2C, right? Like business to customer where you're, you know, you're reaching out to people who want to be involved and they, they sign up for Boss Babe Academy. Now, your latest venture project, Think, is I feel kind of more like B two B, right? Where now, and I'll let you get into it. Um, you know, you're you're more doing a consulting role uh, for for bigger companies and that sort of thing. So, did you start it to kind of have the best of both worlds? You know, to have literally a B two C business and a B two B business. I started it because I knew that it was time for me to do something different, mm-hmm. um, and so I wanted to challenge myself. And also I see, you know, a lot of bigger brands suffering with trying to speak to millennial audiences. So um, there's definitely a need for these types of services where, you know, we're, we're going to, I predict that some of the biggest companies, some of the biggest brands we know are going to fall hard in the next five to 10 years because of this huge gap of communication between the people who are in charge and the people who they're trying to uh, reach Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing the TV industry being disrupted. We're seeing the music industry being disrupted. And so we have to start getting more flexible and innovative about how we're going to shift these industries so that they can be profitable again, if they can be profitable again. It just right. really depends on the angle. So also a, a big part of this new kind of direction is to provoke thought for a lot of young people. I think that as much as the internet is amazing, it's also a tool. And with as with any tool, it can be used for good and it can be used for bad. So I definitely think that there are harmful, there's a harmful potential for, um, even though we have access to all the information in the world, not exploring that or even understanding right. that yeah. and it causing a harmful ignorance kind of plaguing the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm, and I'm also just really anti telling people what to do. I see that there's a lot of like online gurus and stuff. And like, I'm doing my best to not participate in that because I think out of respect of the individual's intellect, um, it's important to give material for them to 
gather their own opinions on versus right. me saying, this is what you should think. This is what you should do. And this is how you do it. And I know um, I'm, I'm really, really done with that right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think we're definitely seeing a tipping point uh, for a lot of those kind of things that uh, that are now starting to come off as um, almost like telemarketing, you know, where, where yeah, we're kind of like it's not working anymore. I, I call it meta money. yeah it's people making money off of teaching people how to make money it's this kind of like really sad cycle um yeah 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 i mean and i think it's fine to teach people these skills if you are actually skilled in it you know i i Mm -hmm. definitely have done consulting where i help people build their businesses but that's because i've built one and it's functioning Mm -hmm. um you know so yeah yeah, no, definitely. Like, uh, like a lot of people say, you know, if you're going to tell people advice on something, make sure that you're, or I would hope that you would stick to something that you actually know, that you're not necessarily a industry expert and you're on, you know, TV panels and stuff like that. But you can, you can actually go to someone and say, hey, listen, this is, this is my functional, tangible thing. This is what I made. Let me try and help you out. That right. kind of thing. Right, right. Um, so to get into like the, the nitty gritty a little bit, does, does Boss Babe's data, help funnel into the consulting part of like project think you know like how how you would figure the the things you learn from running boss babe that maybe that can help with you know the the project think side of things i I wouldn't say the the data i would Mm -hmm. say just maybe the experience i've gained in Mm -hmm. growing the company has definitely pulled into my new stuff because mm-hmm. I think at this point I'm confident about creating a brand message that resonates with millennials. Um, and I've learned a lot about basic millennial psychology and the millennial market um, out of this. And again, I think I've also learned some things that have alarmed me as far as the what I was talking about earlier how how much are we respecting the intellect of others? How much are we giving mm-hmm. the individual the opportunity to explore on their own versus saying uh, dictating what they should be doing? So right. I definitely think that my new brand and, and new ideas are um, the result of of that experience. Okay, okay. So speaking of that, you know, like you said, speaking of you know, transitioning and, and, and you know, changing gears on, on, on your end with the, with the companies and all that sort of thing. I think it's definitely something to note that the boss babe CEO is uh, Natalie Diver. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when did she kind of come into the fold for you or I should say for boss babe and tell me what was it like bringing in someone to kind of run your baby? You know, cause I know that's a very hard thing for a lot of founders. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is what I've learned. If you want your company to grow, you have to learn how to let go of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think a lot of us control freaks, um, myself included, you know, we want the, we want the best, we want it to be big, but we're not willing to learn how to manage and how to delegate. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to think about it, but actually doing it is a very, very hard thing to do. And so it took me six months to gather my, you know, gather my own thoughts and, and uh, ability to even be like, okay, this is what I need to do. And 
Um, you know, Natalie was, she started off as just as a follower. And then, you know, I worked with her on another project to help her build her business. And I really liked her worth, her work ethic. And I thought she would just be perfect for it. And she Mm. has proven that to a higher degree more than I thought was even possible. It's been two months and, you know, the company has grown, um, significantly and, you know, I'm, I'm really happy, but, you know, back to your question, I think, you know, we'll, in in business, we can go in a vicious cycle if we try to run everything, Mm. you know, it's just going to stay the same. And so in order to take it to another level, you know, the other thing I'm telling people is replace your money books with your management books, because those are the real money books. Um, if you can learn how to manage and lead and have patience when someone messes up or if someone doesn't do it exactly like you, that patience and, and acceptance can help grow your company to no, no other, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it hurts a little bit because it's not what you're used to, but it, you know, a real company needs to have other people's hands in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, and it, you, it's your responsibility as the founder to make sure the right people's hands are in it. And so that's really the tricky part. It's not an easy task, but it's definitely worth it if you do it right. Right. And yeah, you said it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you definitely hit a, a ceiling, right. When you're doing stuff on your own and you sit right. there there's and only say, so much you can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's tough for a lot of people to admit that literally if you're the single point of failure, within your own company, that's a problem, you know? And like you said, it, it, it just makes scaling literally impossible. And, yeah. You can't um, scale yourself. Right. Until cloning becomes a thing. Yeah, I can. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it turns out, you know, like we, we talked a little bit earlier, you kind of have this, uh, this beef with higher, you know, traditional higher education, uh, as well. And, you know, I, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I have two degrees, but I was very much kind of uh, under the same thinking you were. I just did what I was told, you know, and yeah. and then when I graduated and it was a hard time to find work, it was like, well, I guess I'll go back to school since I did well for the first time in my life and and I'll just get my MBA. And um, I don't know, like I have a an 11 year old and a nine year old. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly have conversations like this with my girlfriend. I say, like, I don't know that in the next 10, 15 years, what the college landscape is going to look like. Right. And, and you know, it, to me, it's, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to say the least. Um, we all know it's it's not going to change overnight because let's be honest, colleges are a two, 300 year old uh, staple and mm-hmm. uh, they're just a big, big business. So, you know, but one thing that I want to talk to you about that I struggle with to understand and still do is how society expects a 19-year-old to pick a major and essentially plan out their entire career at 19. Mm-hmm. Even though in maybe, since maybe the late 90s, we've known that almost nobody goes into the career of what they studied in college. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think now, and and you're seeing it, is that college is more like uh, a testament to, okay, did you do something you didn't like? And did you see it through to the end? Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know what I mean? Because beyond that, no one, unless you went to Harvard or Yale or any of the, you know, the Ivies, no one gives a shit where you went to school. No one mm-hmm. cares what your GPA was. It's like, did you get that piece of paper? Cool. All right. Now let's talk about what your skill set is and how it could work. You know? And 
I don't know. Well, I, I know you, you like you just like you said, you you kind of already saw it and and were self aware enough to go, this isn't for me. I'm sorry, I can't do yeah. it. You know, no, what are I your have, thoughts on it? I have a lot to say. So there's there's a few things going on here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, first of all, like you said, it these these are companies at the end of the day. A lot mm-hmm. of these uh, universities they use their brand. Um, they have a business model. Um, they are selling you the credentials of being associated with them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, In exchange, you're supposed to get a valuable education and uh, that association with the brand of whatever school you went to. Um, And it should all be worth it, right? This this trade of your, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and time and energy and effort should pay off to a well-paying job, um, you know, higher status within your social circles, and um, it's not doing that anymore. So that's that's the first thing is that I think pe- people don't realize how much these are ran like companies, um, because what's happened is that the the branding of college has done has been done so well that we associate it as just a thing to do, a way of life, a thing that should be integrated for you know the everyday American. And that's fine. I'm definitely pro-education. I'm pro-learning, absolutely, 100%. Am I pro, um, you know, manipulating young people to take out loans for scary big decisions? Absolutely not. Do I see why they have to um, go together? No, I don't understand why, you know, um, why a young person who wants to make a decision to better their life, invest in their future, has to do such, has to do it at such a bad uh, exchange. And with that being said, colleges are were meant to train um, individuals to be able to work at companies and provide a special skill set, a special type of service. But the thing is, Oxford Martin just put out a study that said over the next two decades, 45% of all jobs will be taken by robots and AI. Um, so there, there's not even going to be jobs that a lot of these colleges train you to do. I'm already seeing that happen now. I have friends who went to Harvard and they're over here studying. Um, they're over here DMing people on Instagram about how they got so many followers because they need to know that for their their Instagram growth for their company. So how do you get, you know, a Harvard, someone who went to business Harvard school is now, you know, creeping around to, to see how, you know, kids in their basements are creating these like, um, amazing followings online that end up providing revenue. Um, there's definitely a gap in the system. Then I'd say that the third element of this outdated, unaligned kind of uh, um, pressure that a lot of young people have is we don't even want to do um, what what our parents wanted to do before us. Before it was a thing. It was it was a good thing to work in a big office building for eight hours of your day, and it was a good thing to have. Um, to pay big payments for your car and your house. These were things that made you feel like you had status and that you had freedom and security. Those things scare the crap out of millennials. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to invest that much in a home. We don't want to invest that much of our time in an office building and, and that we don't want to be in. So not only is the system outdated, but the ideology of young people is changing and, and we just don't even see those things as a way of freedom. So as far as where is the future of education, the thing is education is, I think, 
we're seeing more young people more interested in education than ever before. It's just that, you know, we're, it's not through the traditional education system. You now have the power to go online, go to YouTube University, as I like to call it, <laughs> and, you know, pick your class. You know what I mean? You can learn anything. And so as far as what's going to be the staple, you know, way that you're accredited and seen as, you know, someone who has done something, I think it's going to have to deal with a lot of what have you produced? Mm -hmm. You know, what have, what can you show for? What has, has made an impact? Um, What specific skills do you have? Exactly. Like you said, I don't care what, what your paper says or what, you know, what fancy school you went to, what can you do? And a lot of these companies are in that position right now. A lot Mm -hmm. of these companies suffering. And the thing, the other thing I'm saying is that if you think and work like a robot, you're going to get replaced by one. Mm -hmm. If you have, if you offer no levels of creativity or unique human thinking capabilities, Mm -hmm. if if you're providing something that a robot can do, and let me tell you, I don't mean just, you know, like pushing one thing into a a hole. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, these, this software is getting crazy. This software yeah. is learning how to think. There, this software is like intense. So it's not, you know, it, you gotta, I think, you know, the message for a lot of young people is pay attention to what's going on in the tech world because it's not the tech world, it's the world. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it makes a big difference. So, yeah, you, you mentioned, um, you know, something that, that to me, it's, like you said, that's where it is. Where if we if we look back, you know, my 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 parents are baby boomers, right? So they were the product of you know people who lived through the last you know the Great Depression, you know, people who who fought right. in wars, and right. and and in the fifties were just happy to be able to basically be the beginning of consumerism and capitalism, right? And saying, mm-hmm. okay, I got a car, I got a house, I got a dog and a family, ah, you know, like this is life. Right. And, and then they were kind of building off of that, you know, and they were saying, okay, I know what my parents went through. I don't like, I don't ever want that for my kids. Like right. I want to give my kids what my parents gave me. And then some. So we we had, you know, people growing up where they were literally sacrificing their personal happiness and development mm-hmm. and saying, I have a job, I'm providing for my family. You know what? I'm ticking all the boxes. Whether I'm happy or whatever, eh, you know, like it isn't really that isn't the point, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then we have them getting older and we have that generation now eking towards retirement. And and you know, it's like you said, it's it's that shift where now it's okay. We saw two generations go through a very similar upbringing and a very similar set of values, but with us, it's kind of like we we are sitting there going, okay. So now I've seen it. I'm not dumb. I don't want history to repeat itself. I can see what happened. I see a lot of people who work jobs they hate, mm-hmm. who have midlife crises, who you know, say that they're going to have fun at retirement and they sit there and go, well, what's the point? Right. You know, retirement might not be around when I'm, when I'm your age. Oh, please. Yeah, whatever. it won't be. You know what I mean, like yeah. all that stuff. Um, and like you said, it's, it's a shift. It's a shift. And it is interesting, you know. Um, fascinating. It is. It's fascinating because it's happening right before our eyes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like you said, I I don't know what the future is going to look like, but you mentioned it. I mean, let's be honest. T- timely, 
people campaign for a higher minimum wage, which is I've done jobs for seven, eight dollars an hour, and I get it. You can't raise yourself, alone a family, on that. But then now you, like you said, big business suddenly have people. Oh, you want fifteen dollars an hour? That's fine. We'll just make every, uh, you know, Wawa and fast food place just have a counter where you just hit an iPad. Boom, yeah. you just got replaced. Easy. You know, easy, easy, easy. No and, health insurance, no mm-hmm. um, human resources costs. That's these companies are actively sitting down and figuring out how to cut costs, which means fire you. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to make a point, or huh? Were you going to make another point? No, no, no. You just said it. I mean, that was it in the sense that you know, like you, like you were saying, if you do a job that seems like it's something that in reality, not to be a dick, but a robot or or something else can replace it. You're yeah. going to have to. Do yeah, a this is not, thinking. it's not to sound mean. It's the facts. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, absolutely. Our parents and our grandparents, they pressure us because they, they're still living in that, in the pre-internet world. You know, they didn't have Google. They didn't grow up with the access um, they don't understand, like even to this day, my parents don't fully understand what I do. There's just so much lack of, you know, comprehension between our lifestyles. And um, you were talking about how you can work on, what, what was it, Timely? Like Timely, yeah, Timely stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I just saw an ad of a cuddling service <laughs> that you can pay <laughs> someone 80 bucks an hour to cuddle. And, you know, damn, I'm in the wrong field. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, you know, we're, we're starting to see these really unique um, forms of demand pop up via the, the power of the internet. And so, you know, it's not that there's no jobs is that there's new jobs. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. So you might have to be a professional cuddler for a year or two (laughs) before you figure out what you're going to do with your life. But, you know, one of the big things I try to stress for young people who get, you know, really upset and and um, angry, um, is that <laughs> it, you gotta? This is great. Right. We right. we have this is the wild wild west of job opportunity. This is like the pilgrims coming in to the United States before it was the United States and saying, "Oh my God, I'm going to build something here." And so I can't promise it's going to be the same in 10 years. I can't promise that it'll be so easy to pop up a website, put in a PayPal button and go to work. I don't know if it's going to be that easy in 10 years, Mm. but I know it's easy now. And I know if you take advantage of that now, you probably will not regret it later. Yeah. Yeah. No. And like you said, it's, it's a shift in, and um, we don't have to get too deep in this rabbit hole because we know it can happen. Where you sit there and say the access and technology that's available to everyone growing up nowadays has maybe even more so put more pressure on you to say, what have you made? Because if you haven't, then you're just being lazy and living off of it. Right. But if you can say, oh my God, I know I'm self-aware enough to know this hasn't always been the case. I'm going to take advantage of it. And you have people like in third world countries with a a fucking 10, you know, five-year-old iPod and a, a Wi-Fi are suddenly building companies, you know, right. off of social media and all this other stuff. And you go, that's insane. You know, like that is a testament to if you give someone the right tools and they have the right work ethic and the right mindset, they're unstoppable, you know? Humans are going to have to compete as humans. It used to be okay to be mediocre. But now that we have this robot software element to compete with, 
it's going to be the, the more unique and creative and unrobotish you can be, the better advantage you'll have in this new market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like right now I have a creative idea challenge. It's free. And that that's really what it's about. It's it's really trying to encourage people to understand that for free in your brain, you can think. No one is stopping you from thinking. No one is stopping you from coming up with ideas. That is still, that is where your power is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And all it's going to take is, is allowing the, you know, the space between your ears to activate and come up with ideas. Boss Babe started as an idea. You know, I made it with a free social media account, pretty much zero setup costs, zero setup costs. And now it's turning into what it's turned into. This is the only time in history where this has been possible. Right. Had JP Morgan, had Ford come into this world, they would have probably been double as rich as they were when mm. they got in. Um, and it's really because they had that entrepreneurial mindset and they thought about production. They thought about how can I make something in this world? So, you know, yeah, we got to stop being lazy. I, I don't care. I call people out, Yeah, you know. This is going to be the time where that stuff is pointed out. Right, right. And like you said, it's going to be real, real easy to to kind of uh, just thin out, thin out the herd. Because like we said, it's it's either like a lot of things, either you adapt or die. You know, everyone so knows there's no excuses. Everyone yeah. knows there's a guy right now selling potatoes with um, messages on them. He's making 10 grand a month. I'll send you the link. He's sending potatoes with funny messages and people are buying it. <laughs> It's hilarious. I mean, it is hilarious. Yeah. I could see why he's making money because yeah. I would totally send somebody a potato. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh my There's god! Now you're giving me come ideas of sending the old bosses and shit. Just imagine but do you see random what I'm fuck saying? you. Yeah. 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 On and a and then and then there's another company I saw. This guy started a line waiting company, so you can pay him nine dollars an hour to wait in line. He's making a grand a week. Dang. And he was just he you know. A regular guy, it takes, you know, and, yeah. and that's what I mean. It's like, he's not even doing a skill. He's, he, he, it took him to think to do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, new iPhones coming out. I'm not going to wait in line. I'm going to hire a person to wait in line for me. That's crazy. I never thought about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but like you said, it's that. It's the fact that literally you can do that. anything can be a business model nowadays. Thank you to technology. And it's, you know, harnessing that. Not even... Uh, cause like, let's be honest, a lot of the stuff we, we hear about is just kind of comical, but in reality, it still makes money. Whether it's yeah. sustainable doesn't matter. It's the fact that someone actually gets paid to, uh, draw cat pictures, you know? And, and it's like, yeah, that's a real thing, you know? There's um, a demand. There's exactly. A demand. And there's a demand. So switching gears a bit, uh, I know you've, you've been fortunate enough and smart enough that a lot of the things that you kind of do are very aligned with your self-interest and and things that you would just happily kind of build and work on. But are there any personal projects you've been working on that, you know, and what are your thoughts on personal projects as a whole? Yeah, you know, I I really, what I've noticed in this new line of work that I'm doing is that I'm very personal in my work. And so a lot of the stuff that I am writing about is stuff that I spend my leisure time studying. So I love learning about economics. Actually, I have a book right now I'm, I'm reading called The Undercover um, Economist. And it's it's really good. Um, I, I This is what I like to learn about day in and day out. So 
As far as working on personal projects, I'm really just trying to craft my writing to, you know, how do you make um, economics sexy to young millennials? How do you make philosophy sexy to young millennials? And honestly, I don't think it's that millennials don't want to learn this. I think it's just really about the the delivery Mm -hmm. of it. And so that's really what my new mission is, is how do I make this an experience that you'll never forget, you know, learning about supply and demand or learning about free will um, and and freedom, Mm -hmm. I think are such good topics. That's all I want to talk about all day long. (laughs) Um, But most of this material is in old, dry books that are never going to be picked up. (laughs) So, you know, it's really about, like I said, how do I channel that into into, uh, just delicious experiential content? Right, right. And I mean, you, you said it, you know, it's it's transitioning what is uh, something kind of old that's not very uh, sexy, but into something new. And, yeah. you know, look and there's at, so you know, many, sorry to cut you up, there's, just, there's so many good stories. Like I'm, I'm reading this book and they're talking about the invention of toilet paper and how, t- you know, one of the things I say is I study how an idea goes from where to normal. So I love learning about where these, where things came from because we're so... We're so disconnected between our daily, the daily things we do and the the origins of them. So get this, toilet paper was not accepted for the first like three to four years that it was on the public market. People were like, what is this? This is weird. And just to think that something as normal as toilet paper today was once, it, it even things like that have to be adopted mm-hmm. um, into the world. And so it's just that stuff that I think that if we understood that, if we understood that you didn't just get here, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole history that came before us of how, of how we even get to live the lives we get to live. Mm-hmm. You know, I think technology is, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say technology. I should say, I think the internet and the computer communication system is probably my favorite thing to emphasize on, but there's, I mean, things as simple as toilet paper or time, you know, time was an invention. Learning about the the people trying to figure out how to calculate time. If that's not, you know, who, who's, who thinks like that, you know, and how, how different would the world be if we started to really exercise that freedom of, of thinking Mm -hmm. and, and asking those questions. Yeah, I mean, you said it. it. It's it's you know, and it's a good uh, transition because right now we're going to get into a little more of the deeper kind of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're coming up on an hour, so we're going to go into like, um, you know, just going into that. So, if we can, uh, you know, let's keep the responses about you know a minute or two a piece, um, and uh, and and just to kind of get it on 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 schedule. But what would you say is the biggest risk you've taken in your career? I would say. Leaving, leaving my job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big scary moment. What do you, what you feel around that? Like, what did you hear from people? Uh, I honestly try not to talk about it too much because I didn't want to hear the "Are you sure?" Yeah. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. But I just remember, I, I remember having nightmares the week before, um, feeling like you know, I if this doesn't work, this could be horrible. But I, I did my best to stay optimistic and forced a situation where I would just only focus on a plan a mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's I'm sure you've you've heard that the talk with like will Smith talks about like you know if you had a plan B it just distracts you from plan a 
Right. You know, if you think about it like that, because if you feel like you have no other choice, then you're just going to figure it out. But if you feel mm-hmm. like maybe there's a safety net, then you kind of let off the gas a little bit because you sit there and say, well, I'll be okay if it doesn't work out. Right. Um, so what was that like for you? Like uh, literally telling your boss that, I mean, did, did it go well? Did it not go well? Was it, you know, was, you know, that's always, I, I think mean, an always interesting conversation too. Yeah. I think he was a little disappointed because, you know, he liked me, but I just was like, I, I didn't care. I knew that I didn't want to be doing that. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. So name your biggest fear creatively. My biggest fear creatively is that there, I think kind of what I was saying before, where how do I make these topics that kind of go unbrushed, sexy and appealing and, and cool. And so my fear is that, you know, people won't be interested, but I, I I understand that that's a rational fear. Um, and that given the, uh, uh, evidence and social proof of people who are like, yes, talk about this, that that's not the case. But, you know, you always get your days where you see a little too much of Kim Kardashian or <laughs> something too stupid, getting too much attention. You're like, dang, what is going on with the yeah, world? Yeah. But, you know, it's important to not lose faith, though, because there are hundreds, millions of people who don't care about that kind of stuff and want to talk about stuff with more substance. Yeah, you said it. Yeah, there's definitely days where I sit there and go, yep, that's enough internet for today. Yeah. I'm just going to close my laptop and just go do anything else. Yeah. Um, So what would you say is the most meaningful moment in your career thus far? Most meaningful moment in my career, I think it was the day that, you know, I felt very, I, I would actually say it was the day I fully operationalized Boss Babe. Mm-hmm. This big moment, you know, like I said, I was working that, on that for six months and it was not getting the emails that I was used to getting and knowing it was being taken care of. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, so awesome. Yeah. Like you said, the, the appeal, well, not the appeal. But now I have a whole new set of emails, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, like you said, I mean, just knowing that you found the right person to, to fill the right job. You know, and, mm-hmm. and and that's, I think, something that a lot of people don't talk about enough. You know, we obviously as people are very pessimistic and human beings and, and we sit there and say, well, what if, you know, the person doesn't work out? And what if, you know, it takes me forever to find that person? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if? Right. And then you sit there and go, okay, well, do, do your due diligence and find a person that's the right fit and that won't be a problem. Right. Period. You know, but no one ever looks at it like that. You know, we just look mm-hmm. at it like, oh, it's going to be horrible and it's hard to find good work, you know, and are good people. It is. And, but stuff, the, yeah. the thing is, it is hard, but mm-hmm. you got like, what do you want to do? What are your other options? Mm-hmm. Do you want your company to grow or not? Yeah. 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 You said it. And, uh, so it's, you know, I usually add this last question. I usually ask it and I'm going to ask you too, like, what, what do you think was your biggest regret? And uh, I can, I think I can kind of tell wh- which way your answer would kind of go. Um, uh, by by our conversation up till this point, but why don't you tell me? I I mean I'm trying to think. What's my biggest? Re- where did you think I was gonna go? Um, that in reality you just kind of go with the flow, and there's no regrets as much as they're just learning. You're just get, collecting data, you know, and you're just saying, okay, that didn't work. Now what? What next? You know, and um, and and kind of making those things that don't work out just be points where you could either pivot or just learn from it. 
Yeah, I would say that the, you know, yeah, I, I agree to that. I, I feel like you can't really regret things if you try them out. And so I, I have, people have told me that I'm willing to kind of fail in front of others to, to, to test if I want to do something. So I've tried a number of businesses, you know, there's a whole history before boss babe and there's a whole history after boss babe, but I've always, even I, I risk looking stupid because I'd rather just know if something's going to work or if something's going to fit for me than not know. Right. So it's, it's not really regret. It's just pointing out how I don't end up regretting mm-hmm. because if we just continue to stay in our head and if we're too afraid of looking stupid and I'm not saying that like, Oh, I should get kudos. And it's just really for my own happiness. Like mm-hmm. I am like, I'm like, okay, to be really happy, Alex, you might have to look a little stupid for this amount of time, <laughs> but is it worth your happiness? Absolutely. Everything is, you know what I'm saying? And so what is looking stupid? It's, it's prioritizing other people's opinions. So that's in itself a red flag of like, who cares? You know, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, you have to go to bed with your own mind, not others. And so it's important to go to bed with peace of mind and, and knowing that you did what you wanted to do, or at least tried it. Right. And you said it. I mean, it's, you know, it's knowing that, and, and and to a lot of people, they go, oh, that's so meta. That's so deep. It's like, it's not really. I, I could see maybe years ago it was, but in reality, it's just being a little more self-aware and saying, you are the only person, like you are the only one in your life who should matter, you know, um, because yeah. even if, even if you're beholden to other people, whether it's your parents or your family or your own family, when you get older, it doesn't matter because if you're not happy and you're not in a good place, then all those relationships and people that, that really do rely on you and love you are going to be like, well, what's going on? You know? Right. Um, and you know, one thing I think that's interesting to note is that a lot of people, like a lot of people, well, obviously that question's there for a reason. Some people will name something. Some people will name something in their personal life, which is a little bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say regrets are just learning points, which we all know if you're, if you're self-aware enough or smart enough, that's the way you should look at them, right? Mm-hmm. But then I think one of the biggest ones that people do say, and you kind of touched upon a little bit, is is not starting sooner right is like you just said like if i learn it's not from me and i look dumb so what i'm not i'm no longer going to wonder about that same thing and that's that's more than enough and that 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 in itself served its purpose you know even if it crashed and burned all right now i know that that was not a good business model for me to venture into right i'm glad i learned it instead of just like pretending or not knowing and doing it when i'm like 45 you know, instead of in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, listen, Alex, thank you for taking the time out to uh, to chat with us. Um, you know, I have one last question and then, you know, we're going to go into the closing stuff. But a lot of times when I have people on, you know, we, we ask them, uh, you know, if they were creating stuff like, you know, tangible and intangible things like, you know, f- like videos or photography or, or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. If they couldn't share it with anyone, would they still do it? And for you, I think this is interesting because a lot of what you do is literally based on interaction with others. And Mm -hmm. and so maybe tell me, like, you know, what do you think? If you couldn't share your work with anyone, would you still do it? And 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 for you, I guess this is an interesting question because it would also be what would it look like 
because it's not necessarily the same thing as uh, as what you would do now. Yeah, I think that I would. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of work I do do that I don't show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a I'm a note taker. Um, I love. I really just like love to learn and I know that sounds so like uh, but like I really do like if you give me a day and you told me I could do anything all day it would probably be like watching YouTube philosophy videos and reading Mm -hmm. at the park with like a plate of oxtail because I love Jamaican food that is (laughs) like my best day ever so yeah I definitely think that and I love that question because it helps me realize I'm doing what I love Mm -hmm. because that is what I do Mm-hmm. And yeah, it would suck if I couldn't share it, but I would at least still do it for my own uh, happiness. Right. Your own benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I'm a photographer. You know, that was what I did for a long time and still do. But mm-hmm. that's the question. It's like a lot of what we do for a lot of us, uh, once we get beyond the 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 very internal beginnings of, of photography, you obviously, if you want to make it a career, you have to pull in other people. And and for a lot of people, that's a tough question because they get into they get into the fact that they love seeing people's reactions to the you know the yeah. photos, yeah. Um, or at the very least, you know, making people happy, you know, the actual experience that they're that they're having during a photo shoot, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And then they sit there and say, "You couldn't share with anyone." It's kind of a, a, a gut question where you sit there and go, "Well, half people go, well." I don't know if I couldn't, it would seem kind of empty. You know, I still love it, but it would seem kind of empty. So I probably wouldn't do it anymore. Other right. people are like you said, um, they're, they're saying that it's, you know, it's the opposite. And they're like, you know, no, I'm always going to do it. I do it when no one's, I take pictures, no one sees now, you know, as I always right. do it. So it makes a big difference. It proves that you love what you do. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Alex, again, thank you for taking the time out today. Uh, where can people check out your stuff and learn more about what you do? Yeah, so I encourage people if they're trying to create, uh, be more creative to go to alexwolf.co. I have a free five-day creative idea challenge, and it's just um, five uh, thinking strategies that you can use every day. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at alexwolfco. Okay. That's a- alexwolfco. Awesome, awesome. So last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Steve Jobs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not even mad. Um, I'm fucking impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Who would I? I think I love Seth Godin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a millennial, but I no, mean, gosh. we talked to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's insightful. So that would be awesome. Okay. All right. Great. So we've actually been in talks with him, but he's obviously a very busy dude. So we'll see. Fingers crossed we eventually uh, get him on. And I'll be sure to let you know too, so you can tune in. Please do. All right. Well, listen, Alex, thank you. It was uh, it was great chatting and uh, I look forward to seeing you around. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.